When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that we could get to a place where Def Jam jackets and hats and, you know, logo is a means to a new generation of what TDE hats and shirts mean, you know, or what Dreamville hats and shirts mean. I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads, and with me I have Jake Payne all the way from Galveston, Texas, and together we are What's the Headline, the podcast. So um, I know we just talked about it a little bit, but you know, you want to talk a little bit about how crazy your, your week has been? Yeah, I mean, uh, blessings. I, I Certainly there's people out here that had it far worse than I did, and there's people in Texas that have, you know, passed away from what happened, but um, yeah, I mean, with the storms, um, my my girlfriend and I came down here to get away from the Northeast for a minute. We're both working remotely right now and uh, thought, you know, none of this Northeast weather would come with us and certainly thought that if it did, wherever we would be could handle it. So, um, yeah, it was a week. Um, still don't have clean water. Um, had three plus days with no running water at all. No, uh, no, no toilets working, um, no showers, none of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if anybody watches Naked and Afraid on Discovery Channel, but I, I feel ready. I feel like a survivalist. I'm kidding. Um, but luckily, um, you know, we had heat through a lot of it. We lost power a few times, but uh yeah, just been uh just been crazy. I wish I uh you know, I uh I wish I would have known about those uh Ritz Carlton three hundred and nine dollar night hotels that Ted Cruz and his wife got, you know. Yeah, man. Um I was here in New York for Hurricane Sandy, and we lost about mm. 11 days. And one of the things that struck me is how quickly we went to a complete state of nature. I mean, yeah. people were out fighting at the gas stations within two days, fighting at bodegas, fighting at the ATM machines. Did you have any of that kind of craziness going on down there? Yeah, it's funny. I Texas the two guns too. Like, I mean, it's you know. Yeah, so, I mean, it's wild. Okay. Um, everybody here's got crazy trucks with crazy tires and I don't know where they get the mud that goes on these trucks but it's it's impressive um otherwise I mean I I think this area has been really dope I'm not trying to diss it um but I uh I went out to get gas because all the all the stations were running out and um I wanted a full tank in case we needed to make moves and of course prices skyrocketed um when I, I waited an hour to get to a station to like get to the pump and um, they only were selling premium at a, at a premium on top of that. And it was wild because all of these folks in like trucks and SUVs were bringing um, containers to fill. And like one of the managers of the gas station was out there yelling at people that they could not do that. And they're yelling right back and people are getting pushy and loud with each other. Um, yeah. And then it, it was it was something else. And on the way home, I'm laughing because I'm like, yo, they, they told us that we were going to lose power some more. So I was like, when in doubt, there's always whiskey. So I, uh, I went to the store to buy a bottle of whiskey and the power was out. The registers were down. It was literally just a woman taking cash and sort of like the gas, they drove up all the prices. Um, and I felt bad. I mean, I, I carried cash, but there were folks that very clearly 
needed that alcohol that were waiting out front and like trying to bargain with her, you know, like, like you see in a movie, like you like this watch um, because oh she couldn't God. take credit card. And um, I was just like, let me get up and out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's been wild, but the state is, um, the state is restoring. I'm told that AOC was down here last night, helping giving out water. I, f- I found out we were kind of in the same area of Houston last night. Um, so, you know, shout outs to everyone that's given back and helping out. I, um, I spoke to a few people I knew um, that had family down here and just saw if there was anything I could do for them, especially older folks or folks that didn't have access to a car. It's crazy, man. I got people in Houston, um, you know, uh, people in Austin, you know, it was just, it was wild just, you know, watching it unfold. So glad you're okay. Um, glad things are starting to normalize a little bit, but yeah, sounds, sounds crazy. Yeah, man. Don't mess with Texas unless you're an electric company. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So uh, a lot going on in hip hop this week. Um, I want to kick it off with with something. Um, you know, it's crazy. You and I just did uh, two episodes ago. We did an ode to 1984 as being, uh, you know, arguably one of the greatest hip hop uh, years of all time. And a big part of that year was the Fat Boys. You know, they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the most uh, cohesive albums, first cohesive like rap albums, uh, really tapped into like uh, an original music sound instead of like uh, sampling or replaying other songs, um, human beatbox, the whole nine. And we lost Buffy, the human beatbox uh, many years ago. Um, you know, he died. Um, I believe it was a heart attack. I'm not sure, but you know, this week we lost Mark Morales in the same way. Um, you know, his manager just um, confirmed with TMZ today that he had uh, gone to the hospital earlier in the week because he'd had swollen feet and swollen hands and um, thought something might be seriously wrong. And they told him he needed a stent and he was preparing to get the stent, but apparently didn't get it soon enough and, and succumbed to a heart attack. So major, major loss. Um, you know, Mark Morales known as Prince Marky D for fat boys, but also became a really phenomenal producer and writer, you know, uh, later on in life. Um, a lot of people don't know, but he was a producer and writer for real love by Mary J. Blige uh, a lot of the, the uptown sound um, music in the early days, like Father MC, Christopher Williams, Mary, worked with Jade, worked with um, Cypress Hill, worked with a lot of legends, Craig Mack, you know, just a really, really talented dude. And I think only 54 years old. But you you, you had known him before, right? Did you Had you spoken with him in the past? Yeah, I had... Um... You know, I had spoken to Mark um, about 10 years ago, his his manager and the manager in the later years of the Fat Boys, Uncle Louie, um, who's down with Eric B and a, a host of pioneers, um, connected us. I was at the time um, the editor-in-chief of Hip Hop DX, and one of my prerogatives was that we cover the OGs and we cover them on equal um, billing to whatever is contemporary. And, you know, Mark and Louie and Cool Rock Ski, you know, the the two surviving members and their manager really worked to kind of leverage that brand. And they made partnerships with urban outfitters where for a time, if you went into one of their stores, you were buying officially licensed apparel from the fat boys. They did a coffee um, partnership as well. And, and Mark was very generous with me as it was Louie of sending me merch, sending me coffee. I remember drinking fat boys coffee for months and um, it was good coffee too. And, you know, Mark, um, we were, we had a few phone calls together and he was just a very, very generous person, very humble person. Um, you know, even down to, I said to you this week, I never realized that on the real love writing credit. 
Um, the, the name Mark Morales you see in a lot of liner notes from the 90s, but to put that together, you know, it's sort of like Andre Harrell coming out of rap or Daddy O, you know, coming out of Stetson Sonic. It's, it's incredible to see, you know, really talented artists make that executive, you know, segue in the 90s. And, you know, he was actually also involved in the early days of 50 Cent, um, you know, was one of the guys that I think Jam Master J kind of brought into the uh, Columbia Sony situation. And 50 Cent spoken on that, too, where I know he didn't necessarily find the success. But, you know, that just lets you know that that Mark had an incredible ear for talent. Yeah. And still really active. You know, I saw a lot of comments on our post. Uh, you know, about people listening to him every day on Shade 45, you know, and mm. he's enjoying his show. Um, so, you know, big loss. Um, been a, been a, a tough year already in terms of that. But, you know, definitely want to send condolences to his family, friends, and, and you know, the millions of fans out there, uh, of which I think you and I were both, um, you know, part of that. So, For sure. And it's crazy. I mean, 1984, you know, we just lost Ecstasy from Houdini. You know, Curtis Blow um, had a very real scare regarding his heart. Um, and that was, you know, an important year in his career. It's just a reminder. I saw Cormega put up a really dope um, thing on his socials about, you know, he was praising Uncle Ralph McDaniels, who, you know, you and I are, are you know, very, uh, we pay homage to a lot with what we do. And, you know, Ralph documented these guys. Obviously, you know, um, you have Crush Groove and Disorderlies and a lot of stuff, but, it's really important, I think, that we turn into a culture of, of complimenting and acknowledging and paying respect to our OGs. And, and it doesn't always have to be an age thing. I mean, just celebrate each other. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, it's really sad to lose Mark. And it's also something I didn't realize that needs to be said is he was a true pioneer for Latinos. Um, I think so often we talk about the benchmark moments for Pun and Cypress Hill and and, you know, other things, but, you know, for um, Latinos, I mean, he, all of those things that the fat boys did gold record on the charts in the movies, he was also doing that with, you know, that part of his identity in mind as well, which is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to do, before you joined AFH, I used to do a column called Living Legends, where I would, you know, celebrate, you know, people, um, give them their flowers now, because I was, really dismayed by, you know, seeing people celebrate people after they died. You know, we have so many great legends um, who really need that. And, you know, another platform that does that is Drink Champs. Mm -hmm. And DMX was on uh, for the second time uh, this past week. Now, he had been on, and they credit him for being the guy who kind of put them on the map because, you know, he's a very elusive figure, as you know, very difficult to get an interview. And, you know, it kind of made them official in their minds as their or, or Nori and EFN's words when X joined their platform. So they had him on again and he talked about a lot of stuff. You know, we, we ran a, a story uh, about a week or so ago about his album features. You know, he has been allegedly making a new album for, you know, four or five years now, you know, I think even longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. And Swiss Beats, you know, I think it was 2015, 2016, went on, 2016 to 2017, went on a real campaign talking about, you know, um, him being clean and sober and, you know, ready to work. He was working with Swiss, working with Kanye. He did multiple interviews where he's talking about the heat that they, that they had put together and how excited he was to share it with the world. Um, in that beat battle that he had with Just Blaze, 
on Hot 97, which I still think is the precursor to Versus. You know, um, he played that song with Jay-Z, uh, Jadakiss, Nas and and DMX and yeah. just I mean just dropped it like like he just dropped it like it was a regular song and like people you know I never forget Buster Ron's face looking confused and like just like like what the hell is this um that's it's the song still hasn't come out but I gotta assume it's part of that project oh Nas was on that song too um, yeah you said Nas yeah oh, okay yeah so um you know we know that there is heat um but but still no album but the whole time x had not talked about the album but he did on the drink champs clips and you want to talk about the features he mentioned yeah i mean the big one that that was the headline in the um the facebook share that that afh was behind is griselda which um you know might not jump out at people but very much i think they're a derivative derivative of x's imagery his tone um you know just that that menacing but authentic energy and i'm you know i'm excited for that and i believe it you know i think there has been a lot of um there have been a lot of talks of what a dmx album would look like that involved dre that involved kanye that involved all of these things i'm starting to believe it this time and the one thing also that excited me um and i haven't seen the full episode of drink champ so correct me if if this is no longer true but x is back on def jam and um that to me feels really good in a lot of ways and they have the machinery and the legacy content to really make it an event and that's what x needs because he put out a couple of projects that were like mixtapes 10 years ago and even this week i texted you something about it i was like there's there were moments of of flashes of really good stuff on there but it wasn't the dmx album so I'm, i'm thinking that that could be one of the more exciting things of 2021 but what uh, what other guests do you know of? Well, what, so Pop Smoke was one. Yeah, uh, and he said he did not meet Pop Smoke, but um, he thought that that Pop Smoke's energy was very akin to his, and mm-hmm. you know, especially like you know gravitating toward you know dogs and and stuff like that. You know, and the, the growl you know uh, was very much he thought kind of inspired by by himself, or at least he heard himself in Pop Smoke. So that's another one. Um, and he also talked about. Prince. He he said that he met Prince in a club one time. And um, you know, he talked about how when he was younger, you know, people would kind of laugh at Prince for the high heels and the blouses and like the, you know, the 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 assless pants and stuff like that. But when he met Prince in a club, he said he was a real dude and like and you know, Prince, you know, kind of like beckoned him, told him to come over. Um, and he went over and Prince talked to him for an hour. And apparently he was talking to him about the importance of owning his own masters, which is, uh, you know, a pretty OG thing to do. Um, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, we've heard that before. I think, you know, there's that story of Nas and Prince. Prince was the Yoda that, you know, everyone grew up, you know, looking to. And he really encouraged, especially Black artists, to to take that ownership stake. And it's wild, you know. I um I saw DMX perform recently with you. And when I say recently in the last five years in Philly for one of the Roots picnics, but I saw him more recently at Soundset in Prince's backyard of, of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And it's awesome to hear that X made the steps to put his career in order, um, including what you just said. But, and, and as a great MC, even without an album, he still had an incredible live show. And all of the health battles and, you know, X's energy and, you know, he's up there. 
I don't think X is 50, but he's in his upper 40s to still put in work on level of red and meth and those guys of standing on speakers and just commanding the audience. That's huge. And it makes you see the impact of somebody. I always say that DMX, and it was true even of, of the recent share, he is one of, I mean, tell me if you disagree, but I'm going to say top 15 artists in the AFH ecosystem. If DMX does something, people oh, yeah. care. Yeah, for sure. For at sure. the highest level. And this is an artist, unlike the others in that ecosystem, um, give or take a, a, a Dre or an Andre 3000, he's not so prolific. I mean, he's done a few features here and there. Um, yeah. And, and to your point, you know, I really do hope that that, that posse cut, um, yeah, you know, I mean, makes the album. It's got to drop. It's got to drop. Um, you know, so you said you were really happy and you thought it was meaningful that he was back on Def Jam. What is it, what, what is it that is significant to you about him being on Def Jam? Or what, why, do you, why is it a great thing for him to be back on Def Jam? Def Jam? You know, he had a run of, of number one albums that he had at Def Jam and he brought it with him to Columbia for the final album. I think he had a five or six album run of just straight number ones. But X, you know, Russell Simmons told me and he's told other people before that, you know, the Beastie Boys were one of the artists that kept Def Jam's lights on. They only put out one album on Def Jam. Um, you know, uh, licensed to ill, but it in the really rough years in the early 90s, the album selling and licensing did really well. And then you hear stories about like how in the early 90s, signing Redman, Method Man gave Def Jam a new shot in the arm that ultimately carried them to Ja Rule, Jay-Z, DMX. But DMX to me is the Def Jam superstar. Um, you know, Jay-Z always seemed to be like, had that partnership deal before that became a cliche. Like it was Rockefeller, but he was at Def Jam. X, even though Rough Riders were a management team and had all of the different things, X to me just represented that label, the video game, the concerts, all of that. And I just believe they will treat him as more than a one and done entity to make, make bag. And one of the things, and we've, I'm sure we've talked about in the podcast is in recent, in the last two years, Def Jam has got back in business with LL Cool J, DMX, and even Chuck D and Public Enemy. I mean, Chuck put out a single this week that I happened to like, and it was a bit esoteric, came out on Def Jam. And I love to see that because the reason, um, and you and I spent some time in the 1984 podcast talking about why Def Jam really is the greatest, is those are three great examples. So to be back working with them, um, I just feel that it, it has a storybook meaning to me. And for so many years, we've been told that DMX is making this comeback, making this comeback. He's got to have the machine around him. And rather than go to Atlantic or Warner or some other label, it makes sense to do that with Def Jam, like one more for the road and, and, and maybe more, you know, if it takes. Um, but I, I would like to see him by the end of the year put out something substantial because at some point, um, you know, it turns into a detox and, and uh, you know, Dr. Dre detox. And, and you ultimately, you have to step to the line and shoot the ball. And we saw that with Jay Electronica last year. So yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you know, it's people forget that DMX did something that was unprecedented um, in 1999, I believe it was. Like he dropped two albums in a year. 98, yeah. Which, which first of all, um, just didn't happen. And, and it's pretty commonplace now. You think about Griselda, people like that dropping four, five, six projects in a year. Back then, it was very much, you know, album cycles were one one a year at most, one every two years. But he dropped two in one year. Both went to number one. 
uh, both were like, uh, you know, platinum, like almost instantaneously. Like he truly kept the lights on there in a major way, but they were like megawatt lights. Um, but I would argue that, you know, after the purchase of Def Jam and, you know, the merger and the form, the, the forming of UMG Music Group, um, you know, and, and Island Def Jam, um, that the Def Jam that you speak of ceased to exist. You know, it became more of an imprint um, and like um, more name only, but the culture and the people who were responsible for making Def Jam what it was had, had moved and transitioned to something else. So I hear you on um, what seems like a strategy and them being intentional and reassembling a lot of the people who built the house. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you think that, that the culture is still there too. Yeah, I mean, I disagree a little bit. I think that, you know, the Lior Cohen, um, you know, Chris Lighty, Kevin Lau's years, you know, that that carried over. And obviously, you know, several of those guys were were pupils of Russell, you know. I think after that, you know, you had Jay-Z come in um, and that was a fun time, but it never really lived up. I mean, Jay was the biggest star in his own label. You know, he did some cool things like sign the roots and sign Ghostface Killer. And obviously you had um, Young Jeezy and Rick Ross come out of that, which were Shakir Stewart signings. I believe both of them. You're right. I mean, there is a disconnect. But to me right now, um, I, I have to believe there is some of that essence back in the building, even if you're not going to necessarily see it on the executive side. Um, you well, know, uh, I think uh, part of that might be, and you tell me what you think about this, uh, Paul Rosenberg, you know, um, sitting at the helm. You know, he is obviously uh, a student of, of hip hop and someone who respects that legacy, having been around for a long time. So, you know, he, I think if anyone, and you know, understand it you know i think it was very important for them to have a culture at shade 45 there's yeah. definitely kind of an, an aesthetic that they had even though the mcs were different they were all spitters there was a, a fabric there um at shade 45 and so i think he understands better than most that labels have to have that kind of identity yeah maybe he's trying to reassemble that but what do you think about that yeah i mean I, I do and i did and i think that a lot of these things that are coming to the light right now were under his watch and and you know my friend uh you know ncb noah was there and, and and made a lot of those moves as well of just like hey let's you know to know your past is to set a set a course for your future and we've seen this before not for nothing i mean um you know i remember they tried to do it with death row and even out of the hands of suge knight they tried to bring in other people that were in the studio and around to run the label and it didn't work, but, but Def Jam's different. And to have the participation from three former flagship artists just says a lot to me. And DMX, you're absolutely right. Just has the ability to do that. And X, I like what you just said, because I believe X was there um, at the very end of the Russell years and became the superstar under the Lior and Lyle's years. And to come back now and and maybe steer the ship, but not for nothing. I mean, Def Jam, I think, makes its money with Kanye West, with Pusha T, with with other artists that are not part of this, you know, 80s, 90s legacy. Um, so to have both of those things operating at the same time, I think it could be really powerful. And I think that we could get to a place where Def Jam jackets and hats and, you know, logo is a means to a new generation, what TDE hats and shirts mean, you know, or what Dreamville hats and shirts mean. I would, I would just like to see that. And I'm sure it's the nostalgist in me, but 
all three of those artists, you know, P-E-L-L-X, I believe all three of them have greatness in them, you know, on the artistic tip. And I want to see that. And I want to see that done right. There's nothing worse than, you know, great artists putting out something into the abyss. And I think that's one of the things that's been fun about AFH is we've tried to be a spotlight on that. But, you know, we're one small, you know, entity like that. It's much better when you have a, a real machine around you to make sure you cut through culture. Yeah, you know, I think that you mentioned labels like TDE and Dreamville. I think what makes them distinct is that they have a very clear cultural identity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all the artists, you know, like I said, kind of fit one kind of um, you know filter, even if they're they're different. Like JID is obviously very different than an Ari Lennox or someone like that, um, but they still have the same kind of vibe. If you know what I mean, um, you know, same thing with like. SZA and Isaiah Rashad and, you know, and you know, Black Hippie and, and all those guys. Um, and I guess proof in that is that you can easily hear, hear all of them featuring on each other's projects. So even though they have distinct, you know, sounds and difference, there's definitely a unifying kind of like essence to all of them. I think it becomes more difficult when you start to expand the rosters from five or 10 artists. Yeah. To hundreds of artists, you know, it's just impossible to have that kind of cohesive unity. And I think that's what makes it difficult um, for, you know, big labels like what Def Jam is now to maintain that kind of cultural identity. That's really true. And, and you know, along the way, I think TDE would love to grow to that, to have that ability where they can sign, you know, artists that have, that are so far out from Kendrick. Now, maybe they're doing it the better way of slow and steady, but, you know, I, I even think of what Def Jam did with, you know, bringing in Warren G to produce one of those albums that Slick Rick released from Behind Bars. You know, I think it was called Behind Bars. And on paper, that might seem like two polar opposites on the map and in, in theory, but it worked. And there was that sense of family. And, you know, Isaiah Rashad is totally different than Schoolboy Q, but there's great songs, I believe, that they're on together and they've been on tour together and, and things like that. So I hear your point. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And, and I come back to what I said is, you just got to shoot the ball. And I don't know what we'll see with LL. I mean, like I said, Chuck D put a record out this weekend, but I really want X to make music and release it and test the waters and, and hopefully feel his own greatness. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really set him back, um, you know, he was on the path. He was releasing music with Dan Grease. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did have a couple of releases during that time. that was without kind of promoting what was coming. Um, but then he um, had a setback, checked himself into rehab and uh, ended up going to prison for a year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things about Drink Champs is that he was drinking on the show. Um, you know, um, does that does that give you pause, given like how much he struggled with substances over the years? You know, I just think everyone's on their own journey. Um and I also just finished rewatching True Detective season one, where Matthew McConaughey will drink a lot and then go sober and drink a lot and then go sober. You know, that's that's touchy. And there have been guests on Drink Champs that don't drink, you know, and, you know, X didn't have to do that. But it's not for me to say. I don't want to speak on that because there's people I know and care about that that battle with that. Um, whatever whatever keeps X clean, making good deci- decisions and most importantly, just just out you know out of jail that's what i want to see yeah I don't, i'm not trying to dodge the question either no i hear you i hear you uh you know, i think we are rooting for him um 
you know, I think what you said is right. Like everyone makes their own choices, um, you know, um, and we'll see. But, you know, it seems like he's being active again, and I hope that it comes to fruition. Yeah, and those setbacks are exactly why we root for him. Um, yeah. You know, I think, like, I look at, like, why did X never play himself? Even when he put out subpar mixtapes and things like that. I mean, there was a time when he came out this and Drake, and he's kind of, you know, apologized for that. But X, people never dismiss him. Um, and I feel like it's been just watching that authenticity of, like, this guy's going to do what he's going to do, whether it's behind the wheel of a car or in the microphone booth or whatever else. Um, I, with the week I had, I did not watch that whole episode, but it's definitely on my radar. And it's dope to hear what you said, just to summarize that X helped make drink champs, because I know early on those guys were counting on, you know, Drake and Kendrick and some other artists participating that might not have happened. And I'm sure they will happen, but X helped his man Nori get to the next level with that, which is dope. Yeah, word. So you mentioned LL a few times. Um, LL was in the news also this week as a nominee for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, he, Rage Against the Machine, um, Jay-Z, uh, which I think is really interesting, you know, because Jay is uh, one of those guys who's still very much current with making music and, and making, I think, some of his best music. 444, I think, is his top three, mm-hmm. uh, personally. Um you know, it's interesting to me because every single time we post about Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's always such a, a polarizing thing. You know, yeah. people are always like, you know, hip hop isn't rock and roll. Like, you know, who cares? Like, why are y'all posting about this? Or it's like, oh, this is dope. You know, this is great. You know, I hope they get it right this time. Um, I kind of see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as really the music Hall of Fame at this point. So I'm always happy to see um, hip hop get recognition no matter what the platform may be. Um, but I think it would be amazing for um, LL and Jay to get in. It's not clear to me, you know, how they make their decisions because there's a lot of people who like, you know, um, you know. I think Janet's up again too, right? Isn't isn't she's been up like a, a million times, but it hasn't. I'm, don't get don't get me to lie on that one. Uh, okay. I know Mary J. Blige's. Mary J. Blige's. Uh, there, there there are people though who like, you know, it's like the Grammys where they'll be up many many times and don't get in. Uh, so I hope both those dudes do. But um, what's your take on that in general in terms of like rap being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and like, you know, the pushback that we get? So I've been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three times. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is two hours from Cleveland. And, you know, there were some summers I remember my mom taking me. That was our that was our like summer vacation was to go to Cleveland, get some neat and go to the Hall of Fame because she knew I like music. And when you go there and see the museum itself, um, it's staggering. And after seeing that three different times, three different kind of special exhibits, I want hip hop in there. Now, with that said, I mean, hip hop is getting its own, you know, shout out to the Universal Hip Hop Museum. They've broken ground in the Bronx. I'm sure COVID and and all else that's going on has set it back, but we will have our own, you know, museum. And also shout out to the library at, you know, Cornell, where you can visit and access a lot of things. At least you could the the last time I heard uh, a year or two ago. Um, so we have our own things and we're going to get more of them, but absolutely in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I want to see that. And I'm not somebody that makes it a yearly habit to watch the, um, you know, the ceremony or the concert that they do with it and usually run on HBO. I've caught it. I've not. It's cool. Um, but I agree with what you said. I do want to see Jay. I do want to see LL in there. I would love it if they got in there together, because if for anybody that um, has watched some of LL's recent press, 
those guys have an interesting dynamic, the two of them. Um, and I know that that was one of the things that people have kicked around of like, yo, that would be an amazing versus. Um, so just to watch those two guys tear down a stage together would be huge. And I'm going to take it one step further for all that debate. You know, I remember we were covering a lot of, um, you know, who was it? Was it Gene Simmons that was pushing back yeah. on, on, yeah. on Pac, even though there's a great photo of, uh, the two of them, yeah. um, you know, with LL and Jay, both of those guys brought true rock and roll music into into their own. I mean, you look at you look at the radio album. Come on now. Yeah. And and then also, you know, um, not only Jay's project with Linkin Park, but 99 Problems was an incredible revival of that same sound that LL made with radio. Right. That's true. Both Rick Rubin, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so. You know, um, I, 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 I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, too, and it, it is an amazing, amazing place. I will say that one of the good things that came from COVID was this year's version of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the way they did it. It was like many documentaries, and uh, it was absolutely amazing. It reminded me almost of, like, Defiant Ones in terms of, like, yeah. how intimate it felt and, like, how rich the storytelling was. And so part of me kind of hopes that they maintain that format. Cause I think it's better than um, it was better to me than what they typically do with the performances. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it would be cool to see, to see, uh, you know, the two of them on that stage together. Um, you know, it, it is weird to think of like someone who is still so current, like a Jay being um, memorialized. And I know that mm-hmm. like, um, VH1, VH1's hip hop honors was was kind of similar to that too, uh, but but I think I think they they both should get in and would love to see it. You know, Rage Against Machine also like just would be it, that would just be an epic show. Yeah, big big facts and and those guys I think they would do it together. And um, you know I, I like what you said too. And it was funny in November, I saw you and I started talking about that that special those vignettes that you mentioned because I was like blown away by the biggie one we should talk you know more to say about that in a second in Depeche Mode and you you were like yo yo don't talk about it anymore because I got it queued up for tonight <laughs> yeah. and and those were really well done I like that a lot more than um what they've done in years past and I thought they did that with a lot of class and a lot of taste so biggie um that's not the only that's not the last vignette we're going to get of him apparently yeah um, why don't you tee that up yeah, so um, I love, one of the things I love is uh, how the internet lets you know what's coming on to the, you know, Hulu, Netflix, all of that next month. So next month, we are getting um, a Biggie documentary that is sanctioned by his estate and his family. And, you know, it's it's kind of the, the his last word, the, the fair thing to say. Um, I think that, you know, what it is is, we've spent, we've seen so much in the last five years about Biggie's death that it's important to take something longer form and make it about his life. And that's what I understand this is. Yeah. You know, I think that there was so much excitement. I was very excited for the Biggie uh, feature film. Mm -hmm. And I think that many people walked away kind of disappointed by that. I don't think it had the same kind of depth that people have been hoping for. And it's interesting because I think that had it been done now, you know, we've seen this evolution and we'll get to, to Wu in a second now, but where stories are being told as as series instead of just a single uh, mm-hmm. movies. And, and that's the criticism you hear about all this stuff, man, they had so much they didn't cover, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that um, 
that's part of what happened with the Biggie film, you know. Um, although there were some phenomenal castings, uh, like Natori Naughton from Power, who was Lil' Kim, was just unbelievable. Kim is still tight um, about that, too. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. She was great, though. I, mean, I thought she was amazing. But in any case, um, you know, this documentary, like you said, is blessed by the estate, um, in particular his mom, who was featured in it. Um, you know, she has said in interviews that um, this documentary is really going to focus on his life instead of the circumstances around his death, which is something that she thinks distinguishes it from the multiple documentaries that have already been made about Biggie's life. And she said that this is how he would have wanted to have been remembered. That, mm-hmm. that to me is gigantic. And, and seeing the trailers, you know, I was struck. I saw the trailer maybe two, three weeks ago, and I, I was struck by whoa, I've never seen this footage footage of Big before. And you and I, you know, we've probably seen every photo ever of Biggie. Uh, we've probably seen every clip ever of Biggie. You know, we've done like deep dives into interviews and posted stuff and everything. So to get footage and, you know, that, that has never been seen before, or at least, you know, extremely rare is amazing. It feels a bit like the last dance for me. Like it just is like stuff that you didn't even know existed because you would have figured it would have been out there. So I'm very excited to see it. I do hope that it's kind of the last thing because I think at a certain point it starts to become exploitative, but um, I doubt it will be the last thing, but I hope that it, and it sounds like it will be really representative of him in the way it should be. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, there's folks that I often feel that get pinched out of the story. Easy Moby is one of them. And I saw him endorsing it online. Um, I look forward to it. And I've, I've spoken to Big's mom a few times for interviews and um, she's a phenomenal woman and, and carries that, that pain with her, but also that, you know, every time I've, and there've only been a handful, but every time I've finished a conversation with her, she wants to drive home the point of, of his life, not his death. And so to do that in the most important medium of our times right now is great. And I hope that um, it leads people to bring out the music. You know, sometimes I feel like Biggie's catalog, which is, you know, smaller than some of the other artists we've lost, can still get lost in the shuffle unless it's a 20 year anniversary or a 15 year. And I just want to see people, you know, blasting that shit. So, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. It's a testament to him that his music can still be. Uh, you know, so relevant and so influential in the culture. Like it's been almost thirty years. I mean, yeah, yeah. Ready to Die dropped in nineteen ninety four. We're, we're just three years away from that. It's, it's, it's pretty, really that's crazy. nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, speaking of series that like you know tell uh, stories about artists' lives, uh, so Wu Tang Clan had a series on Hulu. Um, you know, a ten part episode um, series. Um, last year and it didn't even get to uh, 36 chambers it was really about the the very kind of origin story of like Riza and um, Ghostface and Raekwon um, anybody else was covered I think meth because Davies meth yep yep but that's coming back and Riza had some some words about what to expect you want to you want to break that down yeah i mean it's rizza said that the season two is going to focus on the making of enter the 36 chambers which i'm i'm in for i i want to see that and and you know to your point um there's a lot that doesn't get covered sometimes when you when you take an album or you take a movement and that that album is legendary because that album is what ultimately forms the clan and you know you and i have spent time um 
you know, we, we did an interview, kind of an interesting piece with Master Killer one time. And, <clears throat> and the whole reason that Master Killer is in Wu-Tang Clan allegedly is that Killer Priest fell asleep and Master Killer wrote a verse and, and got on the mystery of chess boxing. So things as arbitrary as that shaped history because now, um, you know, Master Killer is a universally known name. Um, so I'm eager to watch this. And I, um, I caught, I can't say I watched all 10 episodes of the first season, um, but I, I watched some of it. I thought the acting was really well done. And now with this, I'll probably just start at the beginning and knock out two seasons. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I, I like that they're staying in the music and not jumping ahead to talk about, you know, the late 90s branding and all of that stuff take it one step at a time and act like you're going to get many, many seasons out of this, which I hope that they do. Yeah. It took me a while to kind of catch it because, you know, I started watching and uh, I didn't understand the pace that it was going to go at. And so I was like, yo, what's going on? Why is this moving so slowly? But then when I stopped, uh, when I, you know, um, you know, let go of my expectations and just watched it for what it was, it was really cool and really uh, interesting to see the history that was there. I didn't realize that there was beef between like Ghost and Raekwon and, or I, I didn't remember, I'm sure you reported it like um, at some point, but um, just to, to see how deep that was and to, 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 you know, see how they overcame that is fascinating, you know, and really to understand the, the things that this group went through as individuals to get to where they are. So I'm really looking forward to this, you know, um, you know, given how deep of a dive season one has been, I think they're going to show us, they're going to give us insight into the creative process on an unprecedented level. So I, I think it should be really dope. Yeah. And Riza's just, I mean, he was one of, um, I spoke to him about a year ago and Riza is in a really cool place as we talk about legacy. I think Riza is very interested in telling the Wu story. And we got that in the, the, the Showtime documentary too, which went to places that weren't so comfortable. I mean, and he's into telling his story authentically. And I just like that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited because that honesty and authenticity lives in different ways. This is the dramatic version. We're going to get books. We're going to get interviews, maybe more documentaries. Um, I'm just here for it all. Yeah, word. Um, so another great thing that happened this week is Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill went diamond. And what that is, is it's 10 times platinum, 10 million copies sold or, you know, the equivalent thereof at this point. And uh, certified. Certified is a key part too, because there's artists that do it, but you can't certify it, you know? Um, which is, you know, I encourage everyone to go on the RIA website and look because there's a lot of like, you know, the Fugees have kicked around this album of, you know, 22 million, but it doesn't show in the numbers. So to do it certified means that that has sold way more than 10 million, um, you know, internationally. Sorry yeah. to cut you off. Yeah, no, and she's the first woman MC to do this, um, you know, and only a, a few hip hop albums, like I think Eminem has done it. Um, Beastie Boys, Nelly. Beastie Boys, Nelly, yeah. Um, so it's a major, major accomplishment for her. You know, um, I'm still tight over the finding the goat like uh, competition. <laughs> yeah. Her losing in the first round. She lost to AZ. And AZ is dope, like one of my favorites, like no shade whatsoever. But excuse me, but Lauren has done, I mean, her, just historically what she's done, uh, you know, uh, again like now it's unprecedented you know so to see her fall in that first round that way I thought was so unjust uh but I'm glad that in the in the um in the the bigger universe she's getting the kind of recognition that she deserves yeah I and mean, it's just such an important album too and I know that there's people that often debate you know the division of hip-hop 
versus you know r&b and singing on that album but it's great to see no matter what lauren hill is one of ours you know just as, as hip-hop heads and that album came out at a really dark time you know in the post you know death row bad boy stuff and you know it just was a beacon of light and and not for nothing i mean it is a controversial album in how she kind of addresses the breakup of the fujis but that's not why we remember it. We remember it because of the great music. And even though Lost Ones is kind of a diss record, um, it's or Lost One. It's it's just hard as hell rapping and beautiful production. And I'm I'm really happy to see that too. That album um, means a lot to our readers. When it went to the Library of Congress a few years ago, that was a big story for us. And Diamond Certification is dope because you're right. There's only a handful of artists, and truly, the you know, high level, Biggie's in there, Pac's in there. I believe an Outcast album is in there. I might be mistaken on that part, but that's a hell of an achievement that so many artists can't touch. Yeah, and you talk about the controversy about like rap versus, um, you know, the singing part, but I don't think it's any different than Outcast's album, you know, Speaker Box Love Below, which one? Um, yeah. You know, Dre's side was almost all singing, you know. Um, and yet, I think one or two rap songs on it. Uh, and also, if you think about the evolution of albums now, like there are lots of artists out there that have like half and half Drake being, you know, um, the obvious one. So, you know, all that said, let, let me ask you this. Do you think that Lauren Hill is the, the greatest uh, woman rapper of all time? I, um, she's definitely in the top three, maybe two, I, I got to take a long look at Missy Elliott, you know, um, with that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't leave the table if you said that, but that's, that's not a statement. I've never said dot, dot, dot is the greatest, you know, female MC. Um, I don't know. Have you, is that, is that a statement you believe? I think she's the GOAT personally, you know, people talk about the um, size of her catalog, but, you know, we just talked about Biggie extensively. Biggie has two albums, you know. Um, if you think about Lauren, you know, yes, she has one solo album or a couple, you know, if you count the MTV one, but she also has those two Fuji albums. Yeah. The first one was okay. You know, the re vocab remix really kind of like reignited their career. Yeah. Um, but the second album, the score, obviously she's a huge part of that. And that album is another gigantic one, you know, so she's been involved in two of the biggest selling rap albums of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, and she's just mega, mega talented. She could spit with the best from Lost Ones is just insane. And, you know, her yeah. freestyles are crazy. Um, you have a favorite but, Lauren verse? Uh, I mean, probably lost ones, you know, um, but, you know, uh, some of the freestyles that we posted over the years too, with MTV and everything too. But so her catalog, I think, is is big enough to justify that. Um, and I also love the subject matter too. You know, she, yeah. she, can, she can go there and just talk, you know, the hip hop, you know, greasy talk, but she can also get super deep about things. Um, Motherhood and, and femininity and all that, yeah. Absolutely. So the range is, is there. So I'll give it to her. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think the only person really challenging her, and people are going to be mad at me for this, uh, is Nicki Minaj. I think she's the only one uh, who, because Nicki has had um, an incredible career, incredible mm -hmm. success. She's had a lot of variety 
she's had uh, longevity at this point because uh, 10 years in the game is a long time or even seven years. So I think that um, she is, she's, I think she's next. And that's not to say, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, it, it, it's commercial, but it's artistry as well. And mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of things. So I'll, I'll give it to Nikki next. Yeah, I don't, I would disagree with that. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I don't think that Nikki has a classic album. But I, I think you made a, a really important point there about Lauren is, especially just having finished talk to, talking about Biggie, Lauren's catalog is big enough. And you often hear people say that, you know, one album, two albums. Um, we treat Biggie that way. And I would venture to bet that song for song, their catalogs look a lot similar. And um, yeah, I mean, Lauren is, uh, is, is up there and it's really good to see. And you also mentioned Outkast and, and that is the album that is Diamond, I believe. You know, Tupac's Greatest Hits is Diamond, Biggie's um, Life After Death. Those are double albums, which yeah. you get Diamond certification really halfway you know doing it that that was the that was the loophole and that's why you saw so many double albums you know around y2k you know miseducation of lauren hill is a single album um shout out to my uncle dan who watches this podcast he bought me a copy the week it came out as a gift of like hey you need to hear this even though like you know i I certainly you know was up on lauren he was just like yo let me save you the 16 bucks here you go um, and it's a great album and it'll it'll be played forever. And it's a classic album, um, which Missy has, which Queen Latifah has. Um, you know, there's people out there that ride hard for Lil' Kim and say that hardcore is classic. And I don't know, but I, you know, Lauren is definitely in the GOAT conversation within that. Yeah. Eminem's got two Diamond albums, which is mm. insane. Um, and yeah, Missy, Missy definitely. I don't, I don't know. I don't, uh, I think maybe the first one could be a classic album, but I don't see um, any of the other ones from Missy being classic, but yeah. But all dope, um, Latifah, I think that, you know, when all is said and done, Rhapsody's going to stand with the greats because she's had some amazing, amazing albums. Like in my opinion, two uh, arguable, arguable classics in a row, you know, yeah. with Wisdom and Eve, you know. Um, so, and I think Cardi B, you know, she's not going to rap long enough. I think Cardi B is going to ultimately just be, um, as she has been, a, a bigger personality, but she's going to be a gigantic um, artist, you know, and, um, over, over time too. So. Yeah, and I know it, it's important to note, I mean, both you and I have been huge proponents of let's celebrate the accomplishments of female MCs and artists and creatives, but not play them in, in separate categories. And I know this is strictly a question, but, you know, it's we've one of the things I'm really proud of with AFH is we never dwelled on that other than to celebrate. Yeah. Um, and we never, as far as I know, use the word FEMC, which, you know, hate. Yeah, no, nah, never, never. Um, yeah. No, no, never, never, no, never, no. Um, Two Tiny Desks came out this this week. Um, One of the things I've missed the most from COVID is is, is Tiny Desks because, um, you know, just the acoustics were always so sharp and it just sounded so amazing. Shout out to Abby O'Neill, who's been a key part of that. Um, And they did, they started doing the Tiny Desk at home. And the first ones were just um, artists like really rapping over records, which was cool, but just didn't have the same music because part of what made it so great was seeing these artists playing with with bands you typically wouldn't see. Um, But this week they had a return to that. And it was an interesting pairing because I'm going to guess that it wasn't coincidental that they had Rick Ross 
and two chains, you know, mm -hmm. um, capitalizing on that versus heat that they had. And, you know, they both uh, kind of brought it, you know, Ross had a band. Um, uh, I think I saw he's only played with a band like once before this. Um, and the band sounded amazing. You and I both like um, weren't necessarily fans of the background singers. But the words of a star, you know, turn his mic off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ross did five songs, I believe. And interestingly, four of the five were from Teflon Don. Which is um, the joint. You know? Yeah. Uh, so what do you make of that? You think, I mean, were you surprised that Ross would go so hard, given how extensive his catalog is with, with, with one album? I love it. I mean, Ross, Ross is, is, is true to it. And I thought about it too. And I was like, you know, that was a very, very musical album, an album that you and I both love. And, and I think I consider it as best. I don't know about you, but I think also to take those songs and lay them out, you know, with a live band, it's just what, it's just what you want to hear. And um, I thought that was really cool. And that's what, you know, that's what Stevie Wonder would do or what any artist, you're not there just to promote something new. And I think Ross, really over the last two or three years has positioned himself as that you know i'm going to be an entertainer above a marketer you know because lord knows he's getting his money a, a host of different ways including you know uh coming to america so too <laughs> yeah for sure for sure yeah so then i watched the two the two chains one and at first i was like oh man this is disappointing because he was sitting in a chair he was obviously lip-syncing uh, he had a woman like, you know, massaging his feet and like, you know, giving him a pedicure. I'm like, what's going on, man? It's shot like a music video. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. But then I was listening to it more. And the second song, I was like, huh, wait a minute. That sounds like live vocals. And I flipped back to the video and he had a band. He was moved to a stage. And, uh, you know, he did his thing with the band, too, which was really dope. And then at the end, he explained that it was being shot from uh, a... Um, nail salon that he owns uh in atlanta and so he was getting he was he was you know uh getting his flex on with that um so i thought it was really dope and ross shot it even though he lives in atlanta now he shot his in miami at an art gallery that was meaningful to him um but did you did you catch the two chains one too or no i didn't i only caught ross and then and then all hell broke loose with uh you know what happened in in texas but uh i will watch the two chains one because he's a great entertainer and i like you know, I like that that kind of showmanship, and and that's part of his brand, especially. Yeah, and he did ninety seven Hove, and you know, a couple yeah. other joints from the album. Uh, interestingly, he picked uh, I think three joints that we have on our playlist. So I thought that was cool oh wow. That we were yeah, in. I continue to play play his album, and I know yeah. we put it in our our best albums of twenty twenty, and I um it definitely deserved to be there. Yeah, for sure. So that was cool. It was cool to see them. Um, I know you wanted to talk about oh um. Yeah, so you, Dave Chappelle, uh, you know, put out a, a clip saying, uh, you know, is, is it, uh, it was a really interesting clip because, you know, the first part he's talking about, like, you know, uh, COVID and trying to navigate that and how he got it. And there were people out there who seemed to be gleeful that he got it. And like, you know, he really kind of went on in on them as haters. But in the end, uh, it turned into him you know, talking about how he had kind of gone to war with Viacom about them putting up Chappelle's show on Netflix and him not getting, you know, paid for it. And how Reed Hastings, uh, you know, had had pulled, or Tetch Randos from Netflix had pulled the content. 
and fans hadn't watched it either. And ultimately he you know, came out favorably and, and got a good deal from them and went back up. So he announced it going back up. Now you had said in the document that that may be a pathway to, to De La, for De La. So what did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, when, when De La, and, and let me just preface it this way, De La is my favorite working hip-hop group right now. You know, Gangstar, you know, R.I.P. Guru, and, and Outkast is on hiatus. I, I love De La Soul. Um, and I was, I've been a little bit confused with what the end route is of their um, campaign boycotting Tommy Boy. Because that, that contract, be it unfair, be it, you know, and there's a, there's a bunch of little components to that of, of why De La Soul's music isn't on the DSPs. But ultimately, two years ago, when those parties, De La and Tommy Boy, were trying to come together, it ended poorly. And that music still is not online. Um, I thought that what Dave did shows that an artist can use their clout, use their power to change contracts because Dave signed his deal with Viacom very early in his career, um, you know, has since talked about all the, the, the tax on that mentally and emotionally. And I think for De La too. And, and one of the things that's interesting about De La is it's more than just kind of a, a contract that they find less favorable. They said, look, this company that we trusted didn't do business properly on the samples. So as a result, we made several classic albums and can't get paid on them. We still haven't recouped because they didn't do their due diligence. So I looked at this and I said, well, you know, everyone's out here clapping for Dave. Maybe this movement will lead to an impasse with, with De La and, and Tommy Boy. Because um, I would love to just see those albums be out there to be celebrated. I think it really stifles their legacy. And maybe that's a leap between the two. But I, I just saw a correlation and thought this podcast was a place to, to mention it. Yeah, it's tough, man. You know, when I was a, a, a an entertainment lawyer, one of the things I asked the, the partner was, you know, what is key in a negotiation? And he said leverage, you know. Um, and the key here is that Chappelle had leverage. He is obviously uh, one of the biggest stars for Netflix now. He's had a massive deal for them. I'm sure his specials are doing crazy numbers. Um and, and Netflix has massive leverage with any um, content providers because they're, they're giving out big checks. And so for them to pull that with Viacom and who knows what conversations were being held behind closed doors about other Viacom content, um, you know, is significant, you know. So Chappelle had leverage here that I don't know that Dela has, you know, in their situation. So it's um, a really good point. Yeah. So I'm not, so I'm not sure, but. Um, but yeah, we all want that catalog up and, you know, uh, I know, um, yeah, I know that both sides have tried for a long time. So I'm hoping that they do make some progress at some point. Word. Um, go ahead. So one of the last things I want to talk about was, um, Saha the Prince, you know, um, one of my favorite MCs, you know, his, uh, his last album was one of my favorites that year that made our, our list that year. No Dope on Sundays, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, amazing album. Um, you know, many people know him from his affiliation with Kanye, with good music. He was a key writer on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, um, has been in that camp for a long time. Uh, I've interviewed him, a very talented dude, very humble, very funny dude was involved in a wild, wild, wild um, event this past week, um, a car chase. He was driving his uh, Bentley SUV, um, a red Maserati pulled up, 
He thought that the guy wanted to, the people wanted to race because they kept coming up real close to him. And so he sped up and then they sped up. And then he realized, you know, very quickly that it wasn't a race that like um, they had guns and were, you know, trying to uh, do something, kill him, steal his card, whatever it was. Um, and so he ended up in a high speed chase on 120 miles per hour at some points reversed on the, on the highway. Um, you know, the people did a U-turn to come back after him on the highway, like on the wrong side of the, the road, like, and shot his car up multiple, multiple times. He ended up wrapping it around a tree and it flipped over on his side. He ran on foot, you know, um, they came and sh- back and found the car and shot at it some more. Um, and so he thinks it was a, an assass- a, a, an attempt to like uh, assassinate him or murder him. And, um, you know, spoke about it with uh, TMZ and with the police. I've seen the clips have been pulled down, so I don't know if they're trying to use it for evidence or whatever, what it, whatever it might be, but really scary situation. But you know, what, what was your take when you, because he tied it into the, the murders that are going on in Atlanta too right now with a lot of artists. Yeah, I mean, I, it just, it's scaring me right now. I mean, we just came off of Benny being shot where I am in Houston. Um, you know, this happened to Ross like 10 years ago um, in Fort Lauderdale. And in, in High is one of the least controversial artists that I could think of. I mean, apart from a little tiff with Joe Budden, this is not an artist that I've known to have beef with anybody. Um, and certainly not somebody that throws a lot of menacing jabs in his lyrics. If anything, he's the opposite. He provides a lot of vegetables and a lot of food for thought in his music. So to see this just shocked me. Um, I'm so glad he's okay, but it, it really... Um, it's scary. And one of the things that I think overall we've seen in hip hop is artists are moving differently. I think the era of putting wealth on presenting wealth to the public world has changed a lot. Um, You know, and then there's, there's little windows of it, you know, but I think it's more likely, I mean, just to come off of what you just said for two chains to say, Hey, I own a business than it is for two chains to say, Hey, you know, I have a hundred cars in my garage. And um, there's just, there's a lot of folks out there that are, down to take it and it's just a reminder i think to all of us to move move carefully and i'm glad that this didn't go another way yeah yeah for sure like it, it shocked me it just didn't make sense because like you said he's not that kind of dude he's never been that kind of artist so it was very very strange and unsettling yeah man i had my car broken into this week and i it was locked and i found out that there's technology out there that makes people be able to get into keyless entries you can go on Amazon and do it. Don't anybody do this. But it, again, I mean, totally different circumstances, different gravity, but just a reminder that, you know, people out here are trying to get it however they can. And um, yeah, just, just wild times. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, well, speaking of assassination attempts, uh, a new movie came out last week on HBO max and in theaters also Judas and the black Messiah. Um, you know, uh, it's about, the um the fbi's assassination of fred hampton and um their use of an informant william o'neill to infiltrate the black panthers in chicago and um you know get close enough to him in order to do that um really powerful film uh daniel kaluuya from um get out and uh you know other stuff and then lakeith stanfield from atlanta and a bunch of other films play the two lead roles um, excellent film. I've seen it twice. Watched it with uh, my son also. Um, but um, the soundtrack 
was amazing and it's a throwback to some of the soundtracks of you know when, when soundtracks really mattered when when you know they really put them together intentionally um like i think like a minister society a boys in the hood a juice you know going back to that level and very thematic yeah i mean like i'm thinking of we will uh when we were kings you know just those yeah. Yeah. you know focused soundtracks black panther you know um and uh, executive produced by hip boy it's got songs by black thought by nas um, by Rhapsody and JID, um, by uh, G Herbo, a lot of the, they did a lot of the, the, the Chicago Cats, which I think is really cool too. Um, and one of the, the, the standouts, uh, the one that got everyone's attention was the first ever collaboration between Nipsey Hussle and Jay Z, um, which is just absolutely incredible. But what, what was your take on the, on the album? I put like six, seven joints in this. On you the- did. I mean, I, everything you just said, I just co-signed. Um, and I thought it was really cool that it was a cross-section. You know, another artist on there at the end is like a bonus cut is Rakim. Um, you know, just another another uh, Nas joint titled EPMD. Um, it just very, very interesting album. Um, shout out to Hit Boy who continues to, you know, really cement um, a presence of more than an a la carte producer in this culture. And um, yeah, I, I I just thought it was really cool that that JID Rhapsody Masego joint um, has been in heavy rotation for me. Crazy. Great, yeah. g- great to see. I still need to see the film. Um, I think we even reported the production of the film in its infancy stages on AFH, um, but just with the week I've had. But I I've heard nothing but great things about it too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love that JID Rhapsody song. Um, Hit Boy is spitting on the album too. Like. He's actually rapping uh, really, really well. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that one. But there's a lot more new music that you included too that I hadn't seen. So anything you want to highlight? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really um, cool week. I want to give a, um, man, where to begin? Um, you know, we talked about Wu earlier. Um, shout out to Method Man. Um, he partnered with Street Life, who has long been his right-hand man. Some could say his, his protege. They came out with a joint called The Story of My Life, which... If you heard Street Life on Takao and you know who this guy is, him and Meth are doing an album together. We reported that on AFH. Um, but this this joint, I've just really been playing all through the weekend. It's produced by K-Def, who people know as Marley Marl's protege, worked with, uh, you know, Lords of the Underground. So that was a big one for me. Um, also want to give it up to uh, Nick Caution. So I'm one of those people that I was a huge fan of Capital Steez. Um and when he passed, I always, you know, put an ear to what Joey is up to, but I haven't been the most open to pro era as a whole thing. You know, like I'll do Beast Coast or whatever. And Nick Caution put out an album called Anywhere But Here. And I've really been enjoying that. Um, he's got a joint I sent to you with Denzel Curry called Bad Day. And um, Denzel is, is, is really of the last three years. And I know his career goes back a decade to Raider Clan and all that stuff. But Denzel Curry... If I'm saying his name and you've only heard one or two songs, he is somebody that is rapping with the best of them right now. And that feature, I've just, I enjoyed. I played it this morning. Um, so yeah, those are two. What, uh, what else did you hear this week that you yeah, dug? Denzel is super dope. Um, you know, we had a, a song or two of it on, his, on our playlist, our Spotify playlist, heavy rotation for a year or so. He did that cover of Rage Against the Machine. Uh, was it Killing in the Name of or Calm Like a, Calm like a Bomb? Man, now you got me wondering. Um, it was a test of uh, killing in the name of, I believe. Yeah, it was. It was dope. 
Yeah, it was super dope, but like incredible artist. Really love him. Um, you know, this week, you know, um, what did I listen to? You know, nothing um, particularly. I actually went back, you know, after our great interview with Pharaoh Monch last week, I went back and listened to uh, the Equinox by, you know, Organized Confusion. Um, yeah, I downloaded um, Lifestyles of the uh, Poor and Dangerous, you know, Big L. I've been really, and, uh, you know, Ariana Grande. I'm trying to keep my, my ears. <laughs> you roll the R on Grande. Okay. Even, even a little Shania Twain, man. You know, you got to keep it, uh, <laughs> keep it varied. So. Word, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I listen to the things you put in, the Street Life and Method Man song. Um, you know, I, I want to check out the 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 Smith and Wesson, um, Sean yeah. Buckshot song, which sounds really dope too. Yeah. Tech yeah. just is working on a new project and general steel put out one recently that has the outlaws on it and some other people, but this one I enjoyed. I mean, um, bootcamp for life is in the title. You get what, you know, as imagined, I also want to acknowledge DJ mugs, you know, um, one of the things I've been listening to a lot is Mad Libs album, which we've talked about here and mugs, you know, is so, so prolific. Um, he's got an album. They put out the first single this week with Rome Streets, um, great Brooklyn rapper that, you know, we've been talking about. We talked about him with Static Selector in our interview, but Muggs put out an instrumental joint. Um, it's in Latin, but it translates to Black Death. And I just was playing that a ton, especially as, you know, the world was caving in here in Texas. And uh, Muggs deserves his props um, just on the instrumental tip, um, yeah. for sure. And I mentioned that Chuck D song earlier, the name of it is it's so hard to see my baseball cards move on. And, you know, one of my favorite things about Chuck D is avid, avid, avid sports fan. He did, he did as much for the Pittsburgh Pirates logo in my lifetime uh, as any player. <laughs> um, Cause we've had some rough years, but it's a really cool song conceptually of kind of the thing that we're talking about with hip hop. Like, how do you feel when your childhood heroes are no longer with you? So I just dug the sentiment of that. And um, I'll give one more shout out to um, to Marlon Kraft, who, you know, Manhattan MC has been, you know, putting in work for five or six years. Um, he's working with Dante Ross, who I believe is, you know, the greatest A&R. But his uh, he put out a new album and in it he's got a um, joint. I want to say it's called Get to Work with Oswin Benjamin, Chris Rivers, who's Pun's son and some other cats. And that's been I sent that to you. That's been in heavy rotation for me as well. That's dope. And one more shout out uh, from last week, uh, Fife Dog, uh, his first official release from his upcoming new album, uh, Nutshell Part Two. He had released Nutshell, which was just one and done verse uh, a couple of years ago. Um, they added on Buster Rhymes and Redman to that. Um, you know, really dope song and looking forward to that project. Yeah. And from what I understand, too, that song was As You Hear It Before Fife Had Passed. Redman spoke about it to Combat Jack, R.I.P., and um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think that that song is as intended and you put it on the playlist and um, it's great to see people jamming to it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what's your song of the week? Man, man, man. Um, I will, uh, I'll go with, I'll go with Mugs, man. Uh, Black Death, shout out to Cypress Hill Mugs. They've been great supporters of AFH and um, yeah, I'm just going to give it to uh, the Black Goat producer himself. I'm going to go with Seen a Man Die. Scarface mm. was listening to that today and uh you know storytelling is still just so on point and that beat is incredible and the whole diary album just nuts yeah yeah well, well man until we do it again 
Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, glad you're back up on your feet. Um, and uh, yeah, talk soon. We will. All, All right. right. Peace. Peace.